let's get information. I slay. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. You know you that bitch when you call all this conversation. All right. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Vagistine Podcast. It's Vanessa here, where we're having courageous conversations about love, sex, and everything in between. And today, we are talking about birth control with Dina M. Cox, a health educator based in New York City. Hey, Dina. Hi. How's it going? (laughs) How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Thank you. How are you? I'm hanging in there. It's um, it's been a long day, but I'm definitely glad that we were able to work this out. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. I'm so excited to be on the show. Well, I appreciate you coming on to talk about birth control. I feel like even though we tried to plan this like months ago, I feel like this is the best time to chat because I was getting um questions about thoughts on like male birth control and like you know, just mm-hmm. some of the gender issues around male birth control and why it's so late and everything. So I said, why not? This is the perfect right. time to talk about all things birth control. But before we jump in, can you tell us about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? And why are you interested or why do you do your work? How did you get started? Okay. So again, like hi everyone, my name is Dina M. Cox, or you just call me Dina. So I am a New York-based health educator. I've been doing it for over three years, um, specifically in New York City. And even, so my specialty is mostly with adolescent sexual health. And I do one-on-one counseling, I do classroom education, um, but I also do adult education around topics of sexual wellness and pleasure. I'm now moving into a new job where I'm going to be doing training and capacity building for adults on how to deal with adolescence and sexuality. Mm. And so literally my whole life is sex, 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 24-7, <laughs> professionally, <laughs> at least. <laughs> that's awesome. And so um, that's like my personal uh, or my professional stuff. But yeah, I was I'm a Brooklyn, born, Brooklyn girl, born and raised. Um, I love it. <laughs> like, I mean, Brooklyn is basically my identity. So working in New York City, specifically working with teens in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. gives me a lot of satisfaction Definitely. because it reminds me of myself when I was younger. And so I really love working with my community in that aspect. How did I get into this work? It's funny enough mm-hmm. that anytime somebody asks me that question, the story I always bring up is that, so... My last name is Cox, as you mentioned, and as I mentioned. Hell yeah. And when I was, like, around 11 years old, I remember, I forgot who I was talking to about this, but I was like, you know, because, like, I want to be a doctor, or I want to work in, like, sexuality and stuff, but I can't be a sex therapist because my last name is Cox, and if my name is Dr. Cox, people wouldn't take me seriously. (laughs) And here I am today basically adjacent to being a sex therapist definitely right (laughs) and so I feel like it's been like a full circle journey in like how I ended up being in this field but it all started with a little thought of like maybe I can't be a sex therapist just because of my name (laughs) right oh my gosh I never even you see I didn't think about until you until you just said it and it's funny because last week or two weeks ago I saw Laverne Cox and she was like, yeah. so, like, my name is Cox. Get it? Hit. And we were all like, ah! ah! Cox! Oh, my God! Yeah, trans! Oh, my Okay, right. Okay. 
like I think everybody in the audience was like, I don't know if we need to be laughing or if it's all right. So yes, I love that. I love it. So no, it's funny. And, and, and I was gonna say sorry. And given no. that, like, I was gonna say with my last name, most people don't get it either. So I thought I would be made fun of for that last name. Very rare. It's a rarity that it happens. Yeah. No one. I just I looked at it and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Stina. <laughs> so, so let's jump into it so i know you probably talk about this all the time but let's start off with some basics how does birth control work and what are the different kinds or the different types that we need to know about yeah okay great so that's a definite question that i would get from teens and adults mm-hmm. constantly because that's really the basics of it. So the way I like to describe birth control is anything that is preventing sperm and egg from meeting and joining and eventually implanting in the uterus. And so when I explain that to people, the reason why I like that definition is because it's really broad and it Mm -hmm. really reflects the variety of Mm. birth control methods that could exist, right? And so oftentimes when we think of birth control methods, people automatically think of things like the pill or the shot or things that are only hormone-based. But when you think of something that's simply preventing sperm and egg from meeting and joining and eventually implanting, the range of what birth control can be is more numerous. And so even the idea of like condoms, condoms are birth control because condoms are a barrier that is blocking sperm from getting inside the vagina mm-hmm. or getting through the cervix into the uterus mm-hmm. or even the controversial withdrawal method or pulling out when pull out is done correctly pulling out is preventing sperm from getting into the vagina that may lead to the cervix and whatnot mm-hmm. and so like even though we may have like thoughts and feelings about certain methods uh, or about their effectiveness the main fact that it's something that's preventing sperm and egg from meeting and joining is what I consider as a broad definition of birth control. I see. So based on the definition, like I said, there's so many. So of course, there are the hormonal-based methods that people tend to think of. So I always rattle them off really quickly. But I think of Plan B, mm-hmm. pill, pack, ring, the depot shot, the implants, or sorry, the hormonal implants, and the two kinds of IUDs, the hormonal IUDs, and the copper IUD. Mm-hmm. And well, sorry, so other IUDs, other um, birth control methods are hormonal, and then the non-hormonal one, which is the copper one. And then I think of barrier methods such as um, condoms, which include the internal and external condoms. There's spermicide, which is physically killing sperm, or preventing, and that way preventing sperm from getting inside. I think of diaphragm and cervical caps, even though those are less commonly used mm-hmm. today than they were back then. I think of the natural methods or the methods that don't need any use, such as abstinence or not having sex at all, or um, pulling out or withdrawal. And then I think of the permanent or more permanent methods, such as tubal ligation or vasectomy. So, like, again, like, and then there's also a better method and stuff, fertility, fertility awareness. And so those are, like, I guess all of the ones I could think of at the top of my head, maybe I'm missing one or two, <laughs> but those tend to be the full range of methods that exist, which are so many, even though people think that there's only like three, there's way more than that. No, I think you're, I think you're onto some. It's funny that you say, uh, pull out or withdraw method because, you know, a lot of people are, 
a lot of people, I think there was an article that came out like maybe last year that was like, that is a people, a lot of people are using the withdrawal method. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. when folks are thinking about like effective birth control methods, they don't, they don't really think about withdrawal. So I thought it was really interesting that, that you brought that up because a lot of people are actually using that on a daily basis. Exactly. And it's something that gets villainized or vilified in mm-hmm. our society. I mean, that's like a joke, but it's on the flip side, it's like, it's seen as a, so, like a social joke, but also so many people use it and no one's getting like the proper education about the pros and cons of withdrawal. So it's funny that like, it's always seen as like this bad guy thing, but hence like everyone's using it still. So, yeah. Right. Like I've, I know plenty of people who are, I mean, I, I can't cause I'm, I'm scared as hell, but <laughs> I do know a ton of folks. Same, same. <laughs> I do know a ton of folks who are really good at, at using, uh, at using pullout. And I think the, the trick is, or the, the caveat that comes with pulling out is that it's important for the person with the penis to pee mm-hmm. in between sex acts. Have you heard the same thing? So I haven't heard necessarily in that circumstance, but mm-hmm. I understand the idea of peeing in between because the risk of having leftover sperm cells in the urethra. Like, yeah, I've, I've never actually heard it be used in terms of like how to safely do pullout method, mm-hmm. but it makes I definitely heard that on the side unrelated to pullout method. So yeah, it makes sense. That's it totally makes sense. We gotta we gotta pee to kill the sperm that is sitting inside of there. If we keep going back to All back, right. y'all. We might, we might have a little, a little junior, a little, a little princess, a little prince popping up. Um, <laughs> so what are the pros and cons when using birth control? I think this is a question that I constantly get because, I mean, I think I work in a lot of communities of color and so, and I, I'm right. sure you do too, being in Brooklyn. And I think mm-hmm. that what often, I mean, I think the conversation kind of goes towards sometimes like skepticism sometimes depending on Mm -hmm. the population or age it could be like oh of course like birth control Uh uh-huh I see what y'all are trying to do here of course you'd be talking to all these black women about birth control and then you also have the skepticism that comes with using like IUDs just because of the history of IUDs and Mm -hmm. how you know it affected so many people's like fertility um you know, like in the eighties and then we just have like mm-hmm. folks who are just like, I don't, do, I don't do that. Like, I don't, I don't need that. I don't do that. I don't know what that is. That isn't good for your body. And so I think there's just like a range of emotions and opinions that come with using birth control. So what do you think are some of the pros and cons we really actually have to think about when it comes to potentially choosing a method? So I totally a hundred percent agree with yeah. everything you're saying. So, like, there's so many myths and misconceptions and truths yeah. about birth control mm-hmm. that are very like, that exist around, but a lot of it gets extra charged by cultural histories around it. Yeah. Again, some of them perceived, but a lot of them are real that happened to specifically communities of color yeah. globally. And so, like, the first things I think about are um, sterilization or sterilization yeah. that's happened in multiple countries, including the U.S. and yes. U.S. territories. I think of China also with the one-child rule, mm-hmm. and after a person has a child, there's sometimes forced sterilization that happens in those cases, at least in the past. Um, 
And then I also think of blood control studies that were done in Puerto Rico that were unethical as well. And mm, so there's right. definitely a lot of communities of color who are affected by, um, like, birth control politics right. and eugenics and whatnot. But then on the flip side, so we have people whose um, birth control or whose um, fertility is being controlled by the government or controlled by institutions and power. But then I also think on the flip side that there's, because of the myths that exist, there is a great disservice to some of our communities in some ways because then we have people who are totally turned off from birth control when they themselves can really benefit from that. And of course, I'm not saying, like, in my opinion, they mm-hmm. will benefit from it, yeah. but like, people who are looking to not have children at all or right. not have that many children or looking to at least face their children. And because of these myths, that have been circulated not only laterally, but yeah. like horizontally, sorry, not only horizontally, but vertically um, through generations, there are people who are stuck in situations where they want to have some sort of control on their fertility, yeah. but myths are holding them back from having that power mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. themselves. Definitely. So I, think, so I think, honestly, like the pros of birth control are really that when you have the facts and the information, it's really you are in control of mm. when you could start and when you can stop. The issue is that there's other politics and other powers in play that come into that and that can make it really difficult for people to advocate for themselves in what they want. Mm-hmm. And so I think of students or younger people, not even like my high school students, but I think of younger people maybe under the age of 30, especially if they haven't had children yet, who may be considering things like a tubalization, mm. which is known as a more permanent method. Speak on it. And they will go and they will go to a doctor or a healthcare professional to inquire about getting tubalization, getting their tubes tied, and doctors being like, No, don't worry about that. You shouldn't do that. What if you want to have kids? This is a permanent method. And of course, like there should be education around like, yes, this is a permanent method. But the idea is that younger people are being turned away from having a method of their choice because of societal ideals specifically put on women and people who have birthing um, birthing capabilities of that, like, of course you're going to have a kid someday. And if you <laughs> take away this power, you won't be able to have a kid one day. And then kind of like that leaping thought that, um, process of your worth is only in your birthing capabilities. Yes. And so... There are people who are getting turned away from the stuff they want by people in power, which in this case, societally, are doctors. Right. And so there there are a lot of politics when it comes to it. But again, like the pros I think of are when you have that savvy to navigate the systems or when you encounter the good healthcare professionals that are really about reproductive justice and really about your choice and what you want to do with your fertility or not want to do with your fertility, then the results are really beautiful when people have full control over what they want to do with their bodies. Right. Definitely. Definitely. And I think about, I think there was a post, like a tweet most recently that just came out in the week where someone said the same thing. I want to go, you know, go to the doctor trying to get a, trying to get a tubal ligation. And (laughs) they basically we're like, oh, you, you know, you never know if your partner is gonna want one. And I right. think, I think this person's response was like, great. So I'm not getting what I want now for 
some mystic person that we don't even know is coming along. Exactly. You know, and my fertility basically belongs mm-hmm. to somebody who's not even here. So it's just, yeah, definitely. Exactly. And then, and then on the flip side of that, when we think about reproductive coercion, we think about our young, specifically young black girls mm. who are maybe sexually active or are perceived as being sexually active. And they come to a doctor's office and they're maybe looking for birth control and doctors automatically want to put them on a large method along the depot shot. And specifically the depot shot, that's something that's pushed on to young girls of color often and how that can be coercive because that may be a method that's good for them if they agree to that, but they may be something else that they want, but they're told that, oh, no, you'll be forgetful or, oh, like, you know, you want to make sure you're on something good and long-lasting and, like, more, like, has a higher effectiveness or efficacy because of that stereotypical fear of black girls or black women having too many children. Mm. Mm. And for those who don't know what reproductive coercion is, can you tell us a definition? Ooh. <laughs> I have to look that up. <laughs> or what you or what you define uh uh reproductive coercion as. Well, I was like, oh no, like am I gonna be quoted on this? Sorry, no. <laughs> Here's you know, the quiz. Fine, fine. <laughs> so when I think of reproductive coercion, I think of the idea that, like, I think of false choice. Mm. So I think of somebody going to a doctor thinking that they have the full range of choices to choose them for something that if it's in regards to their sexual health or their reproductive health, and a doctor steering them in one direction because of their own personal views and values and beliefs. Definitely. Definitely. And I am going to add to your wonderful definition and say reproductive coercion can also be a partner who could be tampering with your birth control or a partner who's like, don't you want to have my baby? Don't you want to have my baby? And trying, trying to find different ways, such as stealthing, taking the condom off, trying to do all these different methods, Mm -hmm. um, to keep, to, to basically get a person pregnant or, and I, and I was just re I was just reading so much about this because I've I've been just so fascinated with the boldness of and ridiculousness of people out here. But and it could also be mm-hmm. if a person needs to get an abortion, having that person like mm-hmm. eat or engage or have something in, in their system before they actually go get the procedure as a way of holding them back and prolonging the process and prolonging the weeks to the point where they can't get legally get an abortion anymore and so i just that is interesting i yeah. never heard of that side of it but yeah like that's all part of that one like that whole um definition people are crafty out here <laughs> i i would like can you please send me the article after this please? i definitely so, will that's, I def- that's so interesting but it's definitely something happen no i mean people are crafty People are sneaky, and I think, and and I understand, like, I completely understand when when it comes to having this conversation about birth control, uh, particularly in communities of color, because it's like there's so many things that can potentially be stacked against a person as far as, like, their right. provider. I know when I went... I think I, it was last year, I went, I went to my provider really trying to, like, jump in, jump out, and just get a refill for my birth control prescription. And they, the doctor was like, oh, but you're Catholic, though. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> 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 and, like, I just, I just got 
kind of looked at her and I was like, okay. And then she looked at my chart and she was like, and you're 30. And I was like, I'm really not understanding. Right. I'm not really understanding what's going on here. And then she was like, oh, and you're married. Okay. No, I think it's really time for you to like start thinking about like your next steps here. And I was like, I didn't even know as a person, as a person who does this for, who educates about this stuff for a living. And then as a person who knows how to advocate for myself, I couldn't, I didn't even have anything to say, (coughs) honestly, because I was in such a vulnerable position. Like you're sitting on a table with your clothes off with, with a piece of paper on, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even form the words because I was in such shock that she would impose her own values. And then, see, here's the other thing. If I didn't if I didn't do this for a living, if I had never read up on birth control and knew what studies said, mm-hmm. she looks at me and she was like, oh yeah, you're 30. And like, you know, I had a patient here who came in with breast cancer and the only reason she got breast cancer is because she was using that birth control. And I was like, kill me now. Like I can't. That's what the doctor said? This is what the doctor, doctor. Mm who went to school, who went to medical school said. And so I was like, that, no. And so like, I kind of looked at her and I was like, that's not, no, that's not true. Kind of protects against certain cancers. And she was like, no, mm-mm, right. mm-mm, no, I just have so many people in here who have their lives ruined. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I gotta go. That's so, that's so terrible and funny at the same time, because right. as a sex educator, that's something I have on the red well. So I remember I, for a long time, was on an IUD. Mm-hmm. Like, I was really, my eyes were set on Marina. <laughs> I was about it. I was with it. So right. I made my appointment with a GYN from ZocDoc. I went in, and I'm like, okay, like, I'm here. It's not about birth control. It's pretty you went to Marina. When can I get it, basically? Right. And, and this is, again, this is something I counsel on. I know Marina back, front, and center. Right. I know counterindications. I know all this stuff. And so she's counseling me on it, and she looks at my chart. She's looking at my bearer bag, and she's like, well, at the time I was 25. She's like, oh, you're 25. You never had children before. You have multiple sex partners. You know, this is not going to really be a good method for you because it can lead to a higher risk of PIP, and, you know, it's going to be harder to insert because you're not, you haven't had children yet. And these are all things that have been proven False. not False. Right. By APOD. And so I'm a health educator looking at her say all the things. And I'm like, I know that's not a Like, I teach about this. I know APOD um, memos. And she's kind of like, no, 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 this is it. And the same position I'm in where it's like, it's hard to advocate for yourself even when you know the information. Right. And as somebody who wants to school about this, whose professional career is centered around this, it was hard for me to come back in a strong way about this, and also, who am I going to be to force somebody to give me a an IUD? Who clearly doesn't want to do that to me? So it's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go too. But I always think about my teens and all the people who have grown up not having power in their lives. Right? How are they going to stand against the doctor that's going to be saying things that are also misinterpretations and myths straight out? Right. Like you just now you're lying. Like you're, you're lying. And that's, and I've had so many doctors tell me, I think I even had, I had, um, 
I had a doctor call me at my office um, like two weeks ago, and she works at a college. Works at a college. Like, this mm-hmm. is what you do 24-7. And she was trying to, like, get some more information or wanted me to send some brochures or something. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And she was like, yeah, I mean, a lot of them. She said, I don't do IUDs, which are interuterine devices for those out there. I don't do IUDs. I only do arm implants because, you know, a lot of them haven't had children yet. And I'm sitting there on the phone like, no, mm-mm. Hey, listen, listen, no, 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 no. I said, those are the really old guidelines. Those guidelines don't exist. Anybody could get an IUD right now, like any age, just anybody. Right. And she was like, no. And I was like, yeah, yes. Like, yes, ma'am. Like you called me and you are just saying the wrong shit. So it's just like, it's like on the scale, how many people on a daily basis walk into a doctor's office and are not getting the methods that mm-hmm. they want? Not getting the like correct information, which je- which then goes into like this heap of misinformation that we do have about birth control. And like mm-hmm. you said, for folks who cannot advocate for themselves, who don't have it in them to advocate, who don't have the education to advocate, how the hell are they going to get what they need? And I've read several studies that showed that the reason why our unintended pregnancy rates are so high, a, a lead indicator could be because a lot of people are on methods that they didn't choose or on methods that they that don't go along with their lifestyle. And instead mm-hmm. of having practitioners counsel in a way that makes people feel empowered, um, you know, you right. have a lot of folks who are just getting methods because their doctor said it was the best or, oh, you should really get this long term right. method. You should get this inserted, even though you might be really comfortable because that's the one that's 99 percent effective. And I know I know this to be just it's, I, I just know what happens so often. I, I was doing a training with a group of doctors on birth control methods. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, you know, some people might, if you counsel correctly, some people might choose a cervical cap. And like the look on their right. faces, the look on their faces was like, that's not even as effective as an IUD. And I was like, right. But is it what they want? Is it, do they want and hormones? That's the point. <laughs> and that's the thing. And I would say that like, even as a person that, that used to be me when I came into this field, because I personally love IUDs, I'm like, everyone needs to know about an IUD. Right. Let's go. And I used to counsel on that. I used to think about, like, hey, this is something that's accredited and forget it. It's really effective, too. You get to lose your period, most likely. <laughs> like, I was done all about that. Right. And then I had to stop and, like, realize that even when you are doing it out of, like, the love of something, yep. that can still be seen as coercive. And right. you have to really be okay with people choosing what they want because in the end, the thing that they're most comfortable with and that they use the best is actually going to be the most effective for them. And so, and I think that's something that specifically happens with doctors that work with teens as well, that even though they may be all about adolescent sexual health, the taboo or the discomfort with teen sexuality Mm. and possibilities of teen pregnancy or unplanned pregnancies of a teen make people really uncomfortable still. And so when it comes to teen pregnancy prevention, people are only talking about efficacy mm-hmm. and not talk but they're not talking about the other types of things that people may be thinking about, like, 
a lot of my teens are really worried about their bleeding pattern changing. And mm. if their parent is going to find out that they're not having experience anymore sure. because their mom usually stops their cycle. Right. Right? Or teens may not want to use condoms because they may think it doesn't feel right. Right. And so we got to think about what are the things a person can do if they truly don't want to use condoms. And that has to be okay with us in the same way that it's going to be okay with us when it's an adult talking. We have to be okay with the teen making those decisions themselves as well. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think, I think this, I mean, this conversation is just so important because it's so loaded. Like at first, at first when I thought about this topic, I was like, oh, this is so simple. Like almost everybody knows everything about birth control. Like if you go into the doctor, you know about birth control, but I think it's those nuances, which is why I wanted to mm -hmm. proceed with the topic, the nuances that come with no matter what a person's age is or whatever their background or how educated they are, there's always something that's missing from the conversation that comes with birth control. Mm -hmm. Or there could be a ton of bias, depending on depending on where you are, who you're talking to. And so I just think, yes, I feel like birth control is one of those things like we hear about. But like you said at the beginning, a lot of times we just think about like the pill and we don't think about the non-hormonal methods like the copper T IUD, or we don't think about methods right. like, you know, the cervical cap, which are totally viable, which are, to are options that are out there for everyone. And I, I do think that non-hormonal methods don't get enough shine. So can you tell us a lot, a mm -hmm. little bit more about non-hormonal methods? Sure. So basically anything that's not the pill patch ring, shot IUD and implant are non-hormonal methods, right? <laughs> so ranging from abstinence to pulling out to the copper IUD to, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it's like basically when you're lactating after pregnancy. Yes. That little space in time when uh, you're not I able think to become pregnant again. Lactation, amenorrhea method, I think. Yes, I think it's something like, I can't, yeah. yeah. I can't remember the exact wording, but yeah, that's it. Like, those are technically all non-hormonal. And so, keep the education around those types of birth control methods, it's really lacking. But I think on the one hand, as they are lacking, I think for the other hand, too, there are people who are very much, like, non-hormonal warriors about it because <laughs> of the myths surrounding hormone methods. Yeah. And so, I feel like there definitely needs to be balanced information about both types of methods that, like, they're all okay. And it's really about your personal choice about what you want to use, but we want to make sure that we have the right information about what is actually going on when you take a hormonal method versus using a non-hormonal, specifically depending on which one you're taking, then the information around that as well. Definitely. Definitely. And some uh, another one I wanted to add to, which I, I know does not get its shine. I learned about this one a couple of years ago. It's called the two-day method. I don't know if you heard about this one. And so you got it. It's called the two day, like number two <laughs> day uh -huh. method. And you basically check your, you basically check your underwear. If you had secretions in your underwear, vaginal fluids in your underwear today and yesterday, you're likely to get pregnant. So like you got to check, you got to check that like, sounds like a, it's like an offshoot of fertility awareness. Right. It's a, they, they put it under where, the like, category. Yeah. Your and you're checking your basal temperature, but you're really looking at like your 
expectations when you ovulate. And it makes sense that it would be two days because a person's ovulating for about 48 hours. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And people have found, when they studied this, they found that it was um, between 86 to 96 of... I think it was 86 to 96% effective. And I think the easier part is, is that with the fertility awareness method or the traditional um, fertility awareness method, when we think about it, you got to like check your, I think it's like check your temperature, check your secretions. Mm-hmm. And what else? Like you can't, you cannot move out of bed before you take your temperature. So you got to like, when you wake up, you got to slightly move, take your temperature so it's like your basal body temperature first thing when you rise. You check your secretions, and I think there was one more thing that you had to check. Was that it? Your was it your temperature? I, I think so. There might be one more thing, but I, I'm not sure. <laughs> and so it's, all I know is that it's a very it's a very involved method. Yes, with like charting out your whole cycle for a year beforehand before you actually execute. Yeah, definitely. And I know, and I think that's what, when they decided to come up with the two day method, I thought that was super interesting because, because it was like, all right, y'all listen, you don't have to check the temperature. You ain't got to do all that. Just look at your underwear between today and yesterday and see if you, (laughs) and see if you're all right. So I do, I do think I, uh, I think it's, it's definitely, definitely interesting when it comes to those methods, because that might work for somebody. Some pe- I know some people use spermicide only. Again, right. there is some effectiveness with that. A lot of folks don't, rec- don't recommend just using spermicide with, on the cervix just directly. However, hey, you know, how, however, however the wind blows, some people got their, their own things. And they have something right. called, we talked about the cervical cap, and there's also something, I can't think of the brand name right now. There's FemCap, and there's also um, a the cervical, there's like, yeah, the new, there's a new school diaphragm, though. It's like pretty and purple. I have one sitting at my desk. I think it's the new, Ooh. yeah, it's like you do the same thing. It's a, it's pretty purple. And what you do is the same thing. You'll insert the spermicide into the cup, insert it, leave it in after sex. But it has like a it has like a hook now where you can insert your finger, and, uh, and it doesn't need to be. It does not need to be. Um, OMG! It does not need to be. It doesn't need to be a uh, 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 measured like the like the original diaphragm right. because the original diaphragm you had to get it measured for your body. But this one I think has two options. You can you can get like pre pre having children and and having children size. Like there's two sizes, and so right. I forgot what it, I wish I came prepared. But yes, it's basically for those who are interested in it. It's still the it's still called a diaphragm, but there is a new school diaphragm now, and it's mm-hmm. purple and it's like sleeker. They made it all they made it all all sleek and everything, and still about ninety two to to ninety six percent effective. So yeah, right. I I get so many questions, and you're right. I get so many questions about non hormonal methods, and for me. Um, I don't know about you, but I mostly get them again for folks who are distrustful of hormonal methods, which I totally understand. Or, you know, I have folks who mm-hmm. are like, I'm trying to make a lifestyle change. I want to eliminate anything 
artificial for my body. And then I mostly also get it from folks who have adverse side effects from hormones. Like I've had friends who've been on hormones and they're like, I got suicidal. I had super mood swings. I couldn't handle it. And so, you know, I typically get like, okay, but what about the other methods? Which you're right. They don't get, they don't get enough shine. Right. And the thing, there's so many, there's more non-hormonal methods than there are. And so there's definitely methods out there for anybody who's looking to not have children at all or have fewer than they want or space enough. There's so many options for people for any type of lifestyle that a person lives. I wanted to add also that, like, we the focus on birth control methods, we often, I mean, like, this is what our culture is about right now, but also... Birth control, sorry, birth control methods can be used for non-pregnancy prevention purposes as well. And so yes. the cons of some birth control methods is having clearer skin, just having shorter, lighter, more regular periods. They can be having periods less often, less often or not at all. So there's a lot of pros of birth control that have nothing to do with preventing pregnancy. Definitely. And... And it for folks who have like endometriosis who need to control mm. some of the pain, um, I definitely birth control is there as well for folks. So definitely, definitely. I it's called I found it. It's called the Coroflex. It's the new school diet. <laughs> it's the new school diaphragm. Yeah, I, knew, I knew it existed, but I didn't know the name of it. I don't know either. It's so funny because I just have it. I have it just sitting there. Like, I have it. I could see it. I could see it. It's, like, sitting right on my desk. There's femcap, like we said. There's internal or external condom, male and female condom. Um, Mm -hmm. There's the conscious. There's the sponge is still out here. I think you can't get the sponge at your doctor's office, but if you want to buy it on Amazon, it's out here. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we talked about the copper tea, IUD. And then, like Dina and I were saying, we have the natural family planning methods where you basically have to track your body temperature, cervical mucus, and you basically need to have a calendar. That's the last part. The calendar tracking if you are ovulating. I was like, there's a third piece that we're missing. All right. I can can put my, my brain at ease now. All right, so I know we are running out of time, but I had some listener questions for you. Are you down to to answer some? I am so down. So I have one that comes from J. I'm called J D, and J D says, um, "Does birth control make your hair fall out, and do IUDs cause BV, bacterial vaginosis?" Okay, so I will always preface every answer I give whether it's to, uh, to anybody that I am not a medical doctor. <laughs> there you and go. So, <laughs> of course, like, I will always say, like, I know my knowledge on stuff, but, like, always have it backed up with a doctor. Yes. Even though some doctors may not know it either. Okay. So, <laughs> so going to the first question about hair falling out. So from what I know about the, specifically the hormonal method of birth control, there is no common side effects that involve hair falling out. But there's always a story or two circulating about a friend's friend yeah. who took the depot shot 
and their hair fell out, right? Yeah. And so what I always say is that, like, in general, that's not a symptom that is um, a common one. But obviously, if you are taking a method of birth control and you notice that your hair is sensitive, it's like having a higher rate of falling out, just continue that method and go to a doctor to find out if it is a birth control or if something else happening in your life. Definitely. Definitely. And then to the question about do IUDs call talk BZ, from knowledge, from my knowledge, um, I have never heard of that. Nope. Um, doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but from what I know, um, IUDs, as long as they were done thoroughly, <laughs> and they should because it's from a doctor, yeah. there should be no increased risk of BZ or yeast infection or even um, things that are caused by, like, STI, such as CID, COVID inflammatory disease. Those did not be happening with new age IUDs. No. And I'm so glad Dina said, you said um, new age IUDs because old school IUDs, where is, which is probably why we have so much distrust. And the United States mm-hmm. uh, has the lowest usage of IUDs is because back in like the 70s and 80s, the strings that they made IUDs with were actually made out of cotton, which created a right. lot of infection because infection was just climbing up that cotton and, and directly getting into the vagina and directly getting into the uterus, right. which was causing a lot of complications. So now we have medical grade string that comes out of the IUD and that string is there so that folks can ensure that the IUD is still there and in place. And it's also a way for the doctor to be able to slip that IUD out when it's time to take it out. Not for you, to take out <laughs> right and a, a ton of great studies have been shown or been done with the new age, the new age IUDs that do show that the prevalence of CID is significantly reduced definitely. because of that new strain absolutely absolutely so definitely new studies have been done they're pretty much safe now and there's like a range of hormonal IUDs there's Kylina there's Skyla there's Morena mm-hmm. am I missing one Lyletta. Lyletta is out here being the cheaper one, y'all. Just, you know, ow. Mm-hmm. Ow. All right, I have another <laughs> question. So our next question comes from Money, and Money asks, can the arm implant birth control be dangerous? Is it bad to not have a period with the implant? I have he- heavy, I have, I have painful, heavy, horrible periods, and would love to cancel them. But my mom says it's dangerous to not have your cycles. Okay, great. So that's a question that I also commonly get when it comes to the progestin or the progesterone-only um, medications mm-hmm. that tend to have somebody that have a period come up. So for the first part of your question, you asked, could hormonal implants be dangerous? Yes. So I always have to preface, again, every medical question with the um, statement that I'm a medical doctor. And so <laughs> any information that I get is going to be based off of my training as a health educator. But, of course, I will always say go to another medical professional to hear their answer because there can always be something that I'm missing as well. So from what I know about the hormonal IUD or any medication that a person takes for, in terms of birth control, um, birth control tends to be generally safe and effective. But, of course, if you are a person that has what we call a contraindication, which simply just means that you have a medical situation going on that isn't compatible with the with a medication you're taking, in this case, 
birth control, the doctor may not make may not deem you eligible as taking that medication because it's going to increase your risk of something negative happening to you. And so aside from a contraindication or not being able to take a medication for medical reasons, um, I, in my opinion, or I guess in my medical opinion, non-doctor, of course, next one on or the arm implant is a safe um, method of birth control if that's what you want. And so the only adverse effects I do here, aside from um, spotting bleeding or potentially having some heavier irregular bleeding for a certain time period, is that doctors may have some trouble getting the implant out of the arm because it sometimes may somewhat or slightly migrate. I think that's something that happens specifically, not specifically, but more likely when it's a doctor who, the doctor who's removing it wasn't a doctor who inserted it. And so that might be something that makes it a little harder for them. Um, but also it's just the fact that it's in the arm. They might have to do a little bit of digging to get it out. Mm-hmm. But those are just some of the adverse effects I've heard. But other than that, the implant is something that is safe and effective for those who are medically eligible to take that. Um, so for the second question about periods, um, is it safe to not have a period? So that is, I mean, medically, yes, it is. So the thing about birth control is that um, for hormonal birth control methods, what it's specifically doing is preventing, well, it could be one of three things or all of three things, but the main ways are that it's preventing ovulation, meaning that it's preventing the egg from leaving the ovary, um, but it's also making the cervical mucus, um, meaning that this, the mucus that's in the cervix, thicker, so it's harder for stem cells to pass through mm-hmm. the cervix into the uterus, and it's also making the uterus um, an environment that's not hospitable for a potential fertilized egg um, by making the lining of the uterus thin. So that specific um, mechanism, making the uterine lining thin, is what causes some people to not have their period. Because if you go back to what causes a period or what a period is, a person's period is when the uterine lining is shedding because um, an egg was not fertilized or a fertilized egg didn't implant in the uterine lining. And so for birth control methods that are working by keeping the uterine lining thin, if the lining is thin, then there's nothing for the uterus to necessarily shed when that time may come. And so that's why a person may not have their period for certain methods of birth control that they may be taking. And if that's the reason that's happening, then that is definitely safe and not harmful that that's happening. Right. In terms of socially, and this might be somebody, it sounded like a a teen or somebody that might be a minor. I'm not sure because somebody said my mom, but maybe not, right? No, this person, this person's an adult. Okay, don't worry. I, you know, that, that's me and my, like, health educator teacher mind. But um, just in general, even this, like, it's, this will actually still apply. But, like, yeah, so medically, it's safe to have a period for those reasons. But socially, that might be a little more tricky. So for some people, not having a period may be something delightful and great, but it also may cause people some anxiety, but it also cause people to be in some dangerous situations. So I think about teens who, again, may have their parents or guardians who may be tracking their periods and notice that they're not having a period, and that may elude that parent or guardian to think that they're on birth control or maybe sexually active and pregnant, and that may cause harm for them. Or I think about people who may be in unhealthy 
are in, they may be in unhealthy or abusive relationships where their partner may be tracking their period and the partner, so the um, person may not want, may, may be on an IUD or maybe on a lark, particularly like an implant to not have children because they don't want to have children, mm-hmm. but they don't want their partner to know. But the fact that they stopped having their period is leading their partner to something being up and that could put them in a dangerous situation. Definitely. And so when it comes to the social reasons of if it's harmful to the career or not, it's really about assessing what would be at stake if you didn't have a period versus if you did have a period. Definitely. Definitely. I have two, oh, I have a couple more questions. You ready? Yes. What is your, I have Art B says, I'm going to call this part person Art B, uh, says, what's your opinion uh, or knowledge on male birth control? Okay. So I'm assuming <laughs> the person's talking about either, are they talking about maybe like general birth control methods for people with penises? Or are they talking about that research study that was done? I think they, I'm going to, let's go with, I'm going to assume that they're talking about the, the research study. Okay. So my opinion on that, I welcome it, obviously. I really like the idea. On the one hand, I love that birth control methods are in the hands of, or most times in the hands of people with uteruses Mm -hmm. or people who can become pregnant because that's giving them a power that maybe wasn't in existence before in terms of um, directing their fertility Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. But also with that comes great responsibility. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. where the responsibility and the onus is always on the person who doesn't want to be pregnant. And so the idea of male birth control or, or birth control for people with penises, I welcome it because it gives kind of this equal responsibility that if you are with somebody, if you are a person who's able to get somebody pregnant and you're with somebody who's able to get pregnant, then if you both don't want to be pregnant, then it's both people's responsibility to... Mm. Like, try mm. your best in a way, right? And so the idea of male birth control or birth control with people with penises is amazing. But, yeah, the research studies, I just found it so hilarious that all of the side effects that <laughs> people with uteruses have been experiencing throughout research studies and currently on their birth control methods that we're told to suck up and just to go through with. Okay. It's the only way we can prevent Shit. pregnancy is something that people are dropping out of research studies for. And, and stopping. Like, yes, in a vacuum. And, and like, in a vacuum, stopping the birth the control right. research. Huh? No, I was going to add, and just stopping the project altogether. The first, the, I think the first research cohort they did, they were like, the, the, the participants were like, this is terrible. This is bad. All right. these side effects. And then they just stopped the study, which... Never right. happens for us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And so it's like, wait a minute. Like, of course, like in a vacuum, you are allowed to drop out of a research study if it's not serving you well. Right. And not like, of course, if there are so many adverse side effects happening, then we want to check it out. Absolutely. But it's just so ironic that the same symptoms they're talking about that people with uteruses have been going through is a reason that you're able to drop out and stop a whole research study. Because it's so yeah. hilarious. But in general, I definitely welcome the idea of male birth control being something that is added to the marketplace of choices that people can have to prevent pregnancy for themselves. Definitely. I totally agree with you. I think that it's wonderful. I think it's great. I think both, you know, everybody 
both partners right. in in the, in situations where folks can become pregnant if that's something that's of concern need to be protected like it, the, the onus can't just be on the person who can get pregnant the the cost of it shouldn't just be on the person who can get pregnant so i think this is an awesome opportunity for you right. know for us to like have more options greater conversation around this so i'm i'm with it but i totally agree with you i think it's absurd where people are like i just had i have headaches and i'm not trying to minimize the headaches but that's some shit right. that everybody over here has been dealing with the loss of sex drive which is which is one of one of the cons that may come that may come with using right. any type of hormonal birth control method, and it was like I think I think for the 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 folks who identify as women, who who were you know uh, commenting on the story I posted, they were just like, but for real though, what <laughs> are y'all really serious <laughs> with this? Like y'all can't be y'all y'all got y'all y'all out of control with this. Like come on, right? A mess, a mess. Ridiculous. And, oh, I wanted to add from our first question, I forgot to add this. Um, I love how you were saying socially how not having a period can, you know, can be can be a good or bad thing. And I also want to add the studies that have been done on the implant have showed that about a third of people have um, not had a period at all the whole time that they were on the method. Another third spotted and another third of people will typically just have like their period like regular. So I think right. the moral of the story when it comes to birth control methods and how I wanted to just like end this segment, but we have one more question. Sorry, Dina. <laughs> Is that okay, don't worry. if something, if you like something, continue using it. If you don't, Go ahead and get that removed. Go ahead and stop using right. it if that is, you know, if that is good, if that is okay for you and what your doctor has specified. And I think if you have a doctor or clinician who refuses to take out the method, you need to find another one. There's been so many stories. Immediately, you need to run. Yeah. They, I've had so many, you know, people in my classes who would say like, well, I went to get it removed and my doctor was like, no, no, that's normal. Just wait. Or, no, I think you'll like this. We're going to keep it in there. And that's not okay. So if you have that right. happen, one, yeah, go ahead and get that removed. Sorry, yeah, Dina. One thing, one thing is to, of course, the doctors say, like, yeah, that is normal. You may want to consider seeing how it turns out. But, yes, if a person is saying, like, I don't want this in me, I hear what you're saying, I still don't want it in me. <laughs> right. <laughs> that doctor needs to take it out. If they're not, you got to run. Right. No, that is not okay. This is your body. You decide what you want to do with it. You should not have to consent to anything you don't want to do or have anything in your body. So if that happens, please call, like, your local health department, call another clinician, mm -hmm. go to a Planned Parenthood, and get that thing removed so yep. our last question i believe because i think they're just pouring in slowly is from sarah m and sarah says um uh what are some non-toxic alternatives to spermicide interesting i know i thought about that one too while i was reading it non let me see uh, I, I'm trying to think. 
I don't know any. So I'm thinking the person wants something that is similar to spermicide, I guess, in but like, that's not... a, like some sort of substance or liquid yeah. that is not spermicide, that's not toxic. I'm going to be honest to say, I don't personally know of any, of course, like in my thinking, I think about against spermicide is a birth control method. And so thinking about just alternate ways to prevent pregnancy that don't involve spermicide comes to mind. Something to maybe just like the non-hormonal methods as well. But I don't know of any specific like substances, whether it's a gel or a foam or anything that is an alternative to spermicide in that way. I can't, I can't think of anything like that. Yeah. But I would love to know. I, so when I looked it up, the only thing I can think that I see here is something called Contra Gel. Contra Gel does, it, according, according to this article that I just pulled up, it says that, um, you should, it does not have Nanoxanol 9, which is when we're talking about the toxic, the toxic part of it. I think this is what this person is referring to because the Noxanol 9 mm -hmm. can potentially irritate the cervix. They say here it's non-irritating, it's compatible with sensitive vaginal pH, and it's vegan, not tested on animals. And that's nice. And I'm also I'm also Googling it now and there's also something called Kaya gel as well, as recommended by the Ethical Family Planning Association. So oh. there are definitely methods out there. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, it has all the ingredients. It has lactic acid in it. It has sodium lactate, uh, vanillin in it. Um, it has six simple ingredients, according to this article. And I think I think the other thing, there's, there's, um, there's vaginal contraceptive film, but I believe the way that one works is, is by spermicide. So just ignore me on that. Right. One. I think that one. Yeah, so that like one, yeah. I know that there's many forms of spermicide. There's foam, there's gel, there's uh, film. But yeah, like the Contra Gel and the Kaya Gel, <gasps> those seem to be just alternate ingredients that don't have Noxinol um, 9. Ah, yes. And Kaya, that is the other, that's the other, um, there we go. That's the other diaphragm I was thinking of. <laughs> so Kaya Gel, I guess, <laughs> goes on Kaya. It's C A Y A. There we go. I just that saw makes it. Sense. Yes. So Kaya is the other, is the new school contoured diaphragm, y'all. So that's another mm -hmm. non-toxic um, method that's out there. And I would also say in just pulling this up, y'all, I see a lot of articles around using Coca-Cola as a douche. That is a no. Um, <laughs> that's a hell to the no, y'all. Like we don't. We don't do that over here at Vagistine. We ain't sticking nothing into. We're not. We're, we're not doing that. There's nothing wrong. There's well, you nothing. Treat your vagina is right. Yes. No. There's nothing wrong with our with with our vaginas. There's no need to douche ever. There's never. There's never ever a need for it. Some other people say do lemon juice um douches. I'm I'm gonna say no. I, I'm gonna say no until I read. Read up on this. Um, some people say right. pineapple and apple juice. Um, I don't think you should have sugar up there, y'all, because you it is exactly. not good. It is right. not good to have sugar up there. Them, I see them thinking about the idea about like lemon juice and pineapple juice are acidic, but that's a whole bunch of fructose. And there you go. We know that sugar plus vagina is equal yeast. Yeah, don't <laughs> we don't do want to be baking goods there. Exactly. So don't, don't exactly. Do that. <laughs> 
You might not you might not have a baby, but you might have an irritated ass vagina full of yeast. So, um, or, uh, I love these questions. These are such good these are better questions than I thought of. Um and I have another question. This is our last question. It comes from Tanya. It says, are marginalized groups of women, black women in particular, receiving bad birth control? All right. So I will say that um, rather than marginalized women receiving bad birth control, mm-hmm. I think marginalized women are receiving bad birth control education. That's right. Because I do think that, like, the methods of birth control, like, I, like, the way I always think about it or rationalize it is that, like, the depo shot, that's something that's pretty controversial when it Ooh. comes to communities of color. Lord. Why people use the depo shot, right? Like, why people have a depo shot? Yeah. And so if the depo shot itself was an issue, then why people would be having ill effects too. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily that the depo shot itself is the bad thing. Of course, there are some undesirable side effects, that one would need to decide for themselves to make sure that it's something that they're good with or not good with. But it's not necessarily the medication itself, but the but the reproductive coercion that happens for medical professionals and society when it comes to methods of birth control and talking to minority populations about that or marginalized populations about that. Mm-hmm. So again, I my personal opinion is that it's not the birth control, but the birth control education and institutional like powers behind them that force methods on people that may not be compatible with. Absolutely. And I'm going to add to your wonderful answer too. A lot, our, our most studied medication in the world has been the birth control pill. Birth control is mm-hmm. being extensively studied all the time. And I think the thing is that we have to keep in mind all of these things are things that we're introducing into the body. So whether that's aspirin, whether that's Advil, mm-hmm. whether it's whatever, if we're introducing something to the body, there is potentially, there is a potential for a side effect that could be good. Right. And it could be a bad side effect for some people. And some, a lot of us won't know until we take that method. So just like some of us don't know what Excedrin might do to us until we take it, we mm-hmm. may not know if we have an allergic reaction to it. It could potentially be the same thing for our birth control methods. And I think, and I think it's everything that we said at the beginning of this show is that there are a lot of us who are not informed about birth control methods. Some of us may be coerced into using certain birth control methods that don't align with us. And then you also have just the other fact of it that some of us don't know what birth, some methods methods might do to us until they're in our bodies. Now, when we think about the longevity of some of these methods, like, you can take out the implant, you could take out the IUD, you can stop taking the pill. But I think, you know, with Depo, that one gets really controversial because there's nothing you can do right. to take Depo out of your body. It's like, all right, I guess I got to wait. And for some people, um, that time where it wears off could be anywhere between two to three cycles to it could be like a whole year for certain people until they regain their, you know, natural, like, period and their 
um, normal right. cycle over again. And just because I know this, because Depo's what I'm constantly being asked about as well, Depo has shown weight gain specifically in African-American women, just slightly, just slightly. And we don't know why. <laughs> so I've been, in, right. I've been in classes where folks are like, oh, I blew up on that. And then you, I've been in other classes where folks are like, I am skinny as a rail with Depo. And so I think for some reason, Depo is that mystery one that just, mm, that just, ah, it's complicated. It causes a lot. <laughs> it causes a lot of complicated, it's a complicated one. And that's why I always bring it up as, a, as an example, because yeah. it's like, that's one that people usually think about when they think of adverse effects. And it's yeah. like really important to get to where it's like, even with that adverse effect of like, um, the delay in fertility coming back to normal. It's like, that's, if a person is a good professional, they should be talking about that yeah. and also asking patients about how would you feel if it took 10 months for right. the fertility to come back to normal? Mm-hmm. Are you looking to be pregnant in the next year? And right. that, that's what I ask my students. I ask 16-year-old um, students, so if you're looking to get pregnant in a year, you may want to think about if devil's the right one for you right. because definitely there's a chance that it can be a prolonged um, return back to fertility. Yeah. How would you feel about that? Yeah. And it's important that they, even at that age, like learn about that, even if it may not apply to them. For some people, it does apply to them. But like, you need to know all the facts about everything you're taking, even if it doesn't necessarily apply to them. Because that's how, even, like, that's how stories and, like, that's how reproductive coercion and tests and the right. results of that get passed down generationally. When you have medical professionals that are doing this stuff without care. Right. Right. And I also think it's all, it's also the passing down of stories. And I think that I I would challenge everyone who's on a method and loves it to talk to somebody about their method, because all we keep hearing about is the horror stories. Like I've been on the Mm -hmm. pill for ages and I've, and I've been cool. I've been cool. I've been cool with it, but Mm -hmm. it's not, but it's only until like somebody's like, oh my gosh, I was on the IUD and the baby came out with the IUD in his head, which is a myth, y'all, <laughs> which is a myth. Like <laughs> that's right. the only that's the only time that we hear about these stories when they're all bad or until we're up at two o'clock in the morning and there's like a lawsuit out. And that's not to say those right. things aren't valid, but there's always going to be one there's always going to be some sort of effect that may happen uh, whenever we're taking any type of medication, but it's also we hear the horror stories the most because the horror stories are the things like if something's going well, I don't feel... I don't feel like I have to talk about it, but if something's going bad, exactly. I want you to know. I want You'll you to know. Right. And I want everybody to know so they don't make the same mistake or they don't get on that same method or they don't use that same medication, which is totally human nature and I totally get it. But we're not hearing that say, like that's the yeah. that's the um the theory of Yelp. Yeah. Like Yelp.com, you're gonna really only see a lot of a lot more negative reviews of something mm. because somebody's gonna feel more inclined yeah. to talk about the negative than exactly. if they had a mediocre or fine time. Exactly, exactly. So I challenge y'all, you know, Dina, you know, this might be TMI, but that pill, woo! Having a good time. I'm having I mean, a good time. Haven't been pregnant say, yet. Morena, that might be TMI. <laughs> I love it. Even, <laughs> even though I didn't have the side effects I personally wanted, I'm still like, I'm never taking this out. I'm going for seven years. Let's go. I'm, I'm here for the journey. 
<laughs> so y'all have the conversation because a lot of us may not know. And again, if someone, just because someone has a horror story for them, because I know people who are like, I'm suicidal on the pill. I'm not, but those are the stories that we have to share in order to ensure that like we're getting the good and the bad. We're hearing the mix, but also we just, we just need to, you, we need to know that just because a medication acts differently in someone's body does not mean it's going to act the same in our bodies. So, you know, it's think about it on the oh. wide spectrum, just like any other medication. So I think that's my, that's my soapbox on, uh, <laughs> that's my soapbox on, uh, on lip birth control. So, Dina, we are at the end. I kept you longer than when I said I would. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um, no, where, don't be sorry. <laughs> where can we find you? Do you have any upcoming events? And how can we support your work? You can find me wandering these cold New York streets. Let me stop. <laughs> so, you can, on social media, you can find me at my personal handle, which is I'm not, I'm sure you would say it's called a dynastic underscore Luru. So I will spell it D E N A S T I X underscore L A R U E. Don't ask the story behind that, <laughs> but that's my handle for my personal. I'm also on, I'm a co-host on two podcasts. Ow. Um, the, I know, right? <laughs> Again, where do I find the time? So <laughs> the first one is called Sit On It Podcast. Again, that's S-I-T-O-N-I-T Podcast. Um, and that's the handle on both Twitter and Instagram. And that's a podcast hosted by three flying sexual women of color. Yes. And we talk about sex, dating, tomfoolery, all that jazz. Yes. Um, in New York City specifically. And then... I'm on another podcast called The Black Triad. That's T-H-E-B-L-A-C-K-T-R-I-A-D. And again, that's the handle on both um, IG and Twitter. And that's hosted by three black women. Me, personally, I'm from the Caribbean. One of the co-hosts is Nigerian. The other co-host is black American. And we talk about the intersectionalities and the nuances of blackness. As a, as a diaspora and our experiences based on those three um, perspectives. I love... So that's where you can find me. Yay! Awesome. So my last, last, then you get out of here question is, how do you build your Vagisteam? So I created Vagisteam a few years ago, and it was a term that I coined to basically mean that, and what I think about it is that I feel like if someone builds the confidence of and in their vulva and vagina, I believe that this confidence will lead to a healthy and satisfying sex life. So how do you build yours? How do I build my Vagisteam? So the way (laughs) I build my Vagisteam is... Anytime I think I'm going to be in a sexual scenario, mm-hmm. I always bring my favorite bullet with me. Okay, now! <laughs> yes! <laughs> and I always intend on using it during sex. And so this is something I've done for a while. And this is also because my, actually I should have mentioned this, my side job, all my side jobs, I have too many side jobs along with my, my day job. But my side job is hosting um, adult wellness parties and, um, and workshops yes. for adults through a company called, a co-op company 
or I guess a co-op sex toy company called My Secret Soiree, and I guess I'll, I'll give you the information to post for the links, but um, I basically sell sex toys. Yes! And so I have a whole array of them, and I always bring my favorite little Wee Vibe bullet with me because... It's always a constant reminder, and for myself and other people, because there's a lot of shame around this, that 70% of people with clitorises need direct clitoral stimulation yes. Yes, to they orgasm. Do. Yes, they and do. it is okay to, for that clitoral stimulation to be a sex toy. That is, it should be just fine. And so, of course, part of it is that, like, yes, I'd like to come tonight, too. I'm going to bring that. But also, like, I don't, I want to make it normal for people to know that, if a person is bringing a sex toy in the bedroom, that it shouldn't be a sign of fear or sign of insecurity on the part of the other partner, but that it's something that is always there to enhance Definitely. a sexual experience. And so that's why I build my bad steam by bringing my revive bullet. <laughs> yes! Oh my gosh, Dina. <laughs> it was amazing talking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us tonight. I can't wait to see what thank you do you next. So oh my gosh. I can't, I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of this amazing information. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was really so fun. I've been waiting all year for this. Yay! It finally happened. And I, I'm so excited that this happened. It's great. I'm so possessive. So I, 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 I,